Like you could, no, that wasn't good enough. That was really weak. Some of you could really thank God. Come on, put your hands together. You know, whatever you got to do to get friends like Will Eifler, I, I suggest you do, okay? Everyone needs a Will Eifler in their life, you know? I, I think about it when I was, when the plane was delayed in Colorado. I was like, man, what would I do if I didn't have Will? I mean, he just, he's Johnny in the spot. He's so adaptable. He's so flexible, which leads me to my next point. Um, next Sunday, guys, unfortunately, we will not be having a morning service. We will be having uh, a pretty much a night service, I know. Uh, you know, being in a context like that, this, holding services here in hotels, we're kind of at the demands and the, uh, the leisure of their schedule and what they're booking. And so this next Sunday, the 28th, we will not have our morning service here. Uh, we will have a night of worship, essentially, um, where we'll come together and it will be a, uh, an extended time of worship. And then we're just going to look to the Lord for ministry. We're just going to look to the Lord to see what he, he does in the context of us just exalting his name. I mean, that's exciting. Some churches, we just go through the programs, don't we? It's like calisthenics. I think that's the right word. But, you know, you're just like, you know, you're pumping iron. You're like, you, you pump this much, you get this big of arm, you know. You, 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 but, you know, and sometimes in the church, we hold everything down to, like, some kind of system, don't we? Uh, and, and, and times like this, when, like, the hotel throws a curveball at us, it just, I get excited because it gets us out of the norm uh, and the, the rigor of what we do day in and day out. So we're not becoming comfortable We're not becoming just like, okay, this is the way you do a service. I mean, who wants to do that? I just don't like, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't attend a church like that. I certainly don't want to lead a church like that. So next Sunday, we'll be here at 630 for a time of worship and ministry. We kind of call it like setting our sails up, like just throwing them up, seeing what the Holy Spirit does. So we're just, our only job is going to be for the night just to exalt Jesus and then see what Jesus does in the midst of us exalting him. I mean, that's, that excites me. Some of you are excited about it. So grateful for my sisters here. Yep. Come on. And you, and you. Yeah, I'll take you too. That's. It's okay to be expressive in church. God likes, yeah, he, he likes our voices. He likes hearing us. And so I get the privilege of addressing, you may be wondering where Bethany, maybe you're not, but uh, Bethany's not here. Uh, we spent four days in Colorado ministering at the fight conference. No, we didn't fight each other. Um, there wasn't brawls that broke out. It's simply a summit for pioneers, missionaries, who essentially go to the hardest and darkest regions in the earth to bring Jesus to unreached people groups where they have never even heard the name of Christ. Could you believe that? And right now, the specific ministry has about 186 minist- uh, missionaries in the field. And so they brought all their missionaries back for a four-day summit and uh, me and Bethany had the privilege of being part of that along with like Alan Hood, um, Lou Engel, uh, Corey Asbury, John Thurlow, uh, just a bunch of people, Brian Kim. We stayed with the Kims. Unfortunately, the Kims were sick. My poor friend Brian Kim was trying to man. These guys, listen, they don't just do conferences like, you know, an evening session or like a morning or an afternoon session. They do like morning, afternoon, night, morning, afternoon for four days. And so... Brian was run down, essentially his whole family got run down, and I think Abram may have caught a little bit of this morning. So he woke up kind of in a rough spot. We were praying by the grace of God it wouldn't happen, but I think we did. So we're, we're rubbing oils on his feet, yet we're doing everything we can, you know, a little oregano, oregano up in that system. And so uh, he's good, but that's where Bethany is, so she's unable to be here. So that brings me to my message. Is everybody all right? Yeah. You in the back, you okay? 
Feel free if you want to come up a little closer. There's plenty of cheers here. Okay, let's turn to Galatians chapter 4, if you would. You're probably looking at the overhead, how and why. You're like, I know, how did I get here, and why am I here? our conversation by simply asking our question, hence the how and why on the overhead. Uh, given that it's Father's Day, I, in this week of preparation, started just to ponder and think about why and how God is a father. How or what caused the superior, uncreated, omnipotent God a God who created the existence of all things. A God who fills both space and time. A God who essentially shares the stage with no one. There is no other God. He is in a category of his own. What causes God? What in God's heart says, I want to be a father to my children. Let me read you a quote from Robbie Zacharias. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Brilliant man of God. Let me just find it here. In pictures. I took a picture of it this morning. This is what Robbie said this morning, which I thought really hit home with some of my thinking this week. Who is God? He is our Holy Father. The Christian faith is the only faith that calls God our Father. Can you imagine that? Every time you get on your knees and pray, every time you get on your knees and pray to God, holy keeps respect and reverence while Father brings him close and intimate. This week, I spent in preparing for this message, I spent this week, for the most part, even in the midst of the conference, thinking about why and how God became a father. What what in God? Because in my mind, and I'm sure in yours, in many, given that we are the only religion or the only faith that gets to relate or call God father, what, what on earth? In my mind, it almost is like God is reduced to something very earthly. But God is comfortable within that skin. He's comfortable with relating to you like a father relates to a son or a daughter. And, you know, I can remember talking to people about uh, my message throughout the week just on that simple truth. God, we get to relate to God as a father. And people just with a blank stare. It's like, what are you talking about? But for me... It really hit something in my heart, something deep within my spirit, where I became uh, overjoyed (laughs) with the fact that God is just not a Lord. He's not only a Savior through Jesus, but He wants to be my Father. (laughs) God, again, omnipotent. He fills uh, both space and time. He shares the stage with no one. He is Yahweh. There is no other gods but God the Father. How? How? Why? Why would God even be interested in being 
our Father. This is what 1 John 3, 1 says. See how very much what our Father loves us. For He calls us His children. And that is what we are. You know what the problem is? Is we've become so comfortable with this language. You know, so comfortable without reverence, even, or without just awe of thinking, God, you're not just some stoic, superior being in the heavens seated on a, a throne, although you are, but you're a loving father. You're a loving father who has made me your child. But God does this. How did this happen? How did God become our Father? Why would God care in, in our minds, again, reduce Himself to something that, you know, on earth and humanity we could relate to very easy? But why would God do this? And in our case, listen, go to great lengths. Go, go to great lengths to bring his role as father about in our life. How did God accomplish his role as father? Leads me to Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 7. It says this, but when the, the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could what? Adopt us? As his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent what? The Spirit of his Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba Father. Now, I'm sorry, no, not now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So at the right time, God sent his son, right, Jesus, into the earth, born of a woman, subject to the law, just like everybody prior to Jesus was. Speaks of Jesus' humanity. God sent him into the world to purchase our freedom from the law, of which we were slaves to, according to Paul. Something of which God gave humanity, the children of Israel, to be or to work as a guardian. God gave us the law, and by Him giving us the law, we became slaves to it. But that wasn't enough for God. That wasn't enough for God. God didn't just want programmed robots that when sin occurred, they had to go to some altar and sacrifice an animal. But he wanted children. And so God had to go to great lengths to make us just that. To, like Paul says, adopt us. Today, guys, under the sound of my voice, we all stand here adopted as God's very own children. If that doesn't hit something in your heart, then you need to ask Jesus to awaken your heart. Because this is the gospel. And the gospel was always tended, or was always meant to awaken the heart, just like it did in the New Testament. God went to great lengths. And you know what? 
In Romans chapter 8, 15, this is what it says, some of the same language. Romans chapter 8, 15 through 17. So you have not, what, received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Again, referring to the law, the law of which God gave Moses to give to the children of Israel. You have not received that in this new covenant. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now, we call him Abba Father. You don't know what privilege it is today. You understand if that you were a person in Israel under the law, you would have died. You would have given everything to be named among these people who could actually relate to God as God the Father. You've received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba Father. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are the heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Come on. He just didn't stop at adoption. (laughs) Come on. Here, right here. God adopted us as children. God gave us His Spirit to affirm us of our sonship. God has made us heirs of His glory, essentially as the inheritance that we will live, we have eternal life. That's what the glory means. It's not some kind of mystic, mystical glory, you know, like some old school revivalist and, or new school revivalist with nice three-piece suits and flashy hair say. This glory was actually the glory that Jesus provided for us to spend eternity with God in heaven. And the thing I love about Romans chapter 8 is that God just doesn't say, hey, I've adopted you as my own child, but I am going to, in a sense, uh, or in in a means of progressively showing and affirming you that that is what you are to me. Some of us don't feel like a child of God today. Or some of us, if not all of us, come in and out of one day feeling accepted by God as a child, and another day not so much. In our minds and in our hearts, we become battered and we feel the accusation of the devil. But you know what? Nothing can separate us from this truth. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Why? Because Jesus provided something. He didn't just like in the Old Testament, if you do this, then you will get this. Jesus said, it is finished. You are my son. And God makes it a constant, steady effort to affirm us of who we are. To constantly, through His Spirit, give us the affirmation, you are my son, you are my daughter. This is remarkable to me. Of course, yeah, I know this. You can know it all you want, friend, but unless it affects your heart... Your knowledge of it is empty. It will produce no fruit. Somehow, some way, God, and I specifically say this to Cambridge, He has got to connect our heads to our hearts. The issue of the gospel wasn't just to give us head knowledge or to educate us 
It was to educate us with the hopes of affecting our hearts and its longings and its desires. And here, if there's nothing else that would ever move our hearts towards loving Christ more, it should be that we stand under or in a new covenant provided by God through His Son. Imagine that. Through Jesus, we are able to call Him Father. (laughs) God! You understand? God! I know, stop yelling, but this is God we're talking. This is not just Abram calling me Dad. This is God the superior, majestic being who was uncreated. Before Him, there was nothing. We forget that. And not in the sense that it's not in our minds, but it, it doesn't move us anymore. The Gospel doesn't move us anymore. simple fact that we are his sons that we are his sons and not only are we his sons and daughters but he works he works through the the spirit of God that he placed inside of us to affirm us of our position identity is everything 430 years before the law was given to Moses Genesis 17 happened and if we're to understand anything of the New Testament we got to go back to the Old Testament Because the Old Testament, you know, I learned this in studying that times and God, Scripture and storylines and Jesus to Jesus' appearance, it's like a cycle. Everything speaks. God just doesn't all of a sudden decide to do something different. No, he is um, committed to uh, uh, the steady rhythm of faithfulness. He is not pressured by having to change it up or to try to grip our interest in other ways so that we are like, oh God, no. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we just don't have the the confidence of what Paul says in Galatians. We can look back to Genesis and see that 430 years before God gave the law, he made a covenant with a man named Abraham. You could just do it. You're not following me. You're so smart. Never mind. I'm not going to say the next word. (laughs) Genesis 17. God reveals his plan 430 years before he gives the law to the children of Israel. He reveals his plan in Abram's life. At the time, his name is Abram. And ultimately the parallels between Isaac and Jesus would, would exemplify, would, we would see exactly how God would achieve this even thousands of years before Christ ever walked the face of the earth. Why do I say that? Listen to me. Genesis chapter 17 is really right on the heels of Genesis chapter 7. What happened in Genesis chapter 7? It's all right. I'm not trying to quiz you. I'll let you know. God flooded the world. (laughs) I wonder, after that flood, how many people sat back and said, well, God, you're a good father. You just wiped out (laughs) all of humanity. It's a small number of us here, (laughs) but you're a good, good father. I wonder how many people... I mean, honestly, if you were in that boat that day, could you honestly, in reflection... 
God, you are a good God. You are a good father. Thank you so much. Now, I'm not trying to be sarcastic. Think about that. Put yourself in the shoes of Abram as the human race is just starting to evolve again. It's just starting to get off its heels. I mean, you know, and and God just flooded the, the earth. But I believe that in Genesis chapter 7, God was again revealing something of his nature that most likely the people of those days were largely Not uninterested in, but unaware of. Unaware of. Understand. They just, they flooded the earth. And so, a covenant is made and a child is promised. Countless descendants and the patriarch of many nations, we know that that is Abraham. Uh, And then at the tender age of 99, God will make a covenant with Abraham. I'm just going to go through these bullet points briefly. This covenant would be an everlasting covenant in regards that it could not change, even though that God did instruct Moses to, re- I mean, excuse me, Abraham to remain steadfast and a righteous man. But they couldn't be altered. This covenant was locked in. It was locked in. Uh, the covenant would um, entail many descendants. You know the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had father. Go ahead, you sing. And I'm one of them, so one of you, so let's... Okay, let's stop right now. Will's getting scared. So I just, when Will gets scared, I'm just like, okay, uh, we got we to retreat. <laughs> a child is promised, and Abraham's uh, dis, and, and obviously Abraham's in disbelief over it. Genesis chapter 17, um, Abraham becomes a father uh, of many nations, not of Isaac at that point. Uh, and, and, and Sarah is obviously promised a child. Abraham is promised the child Isaac. Um, ultimately, it's in parallels to Christ. It's, it's very unrealistic and unnatural. Abraham kind of goes off as well as Sarah does and laughs about it, really. Like, I'm 99, God. Come on. Um, and then, the, obviously, through there, you get the contrast between Isaac, uh, the son of the promise, and Jesus. Um, and so on and so forth. Uh, I'm going to skip this one. Uh, and there's just some more parallels of, uh, uh, between Isaac and Jesus. Because this essentially, again, answers our question thousands of years before the messianic reign. Before Jesus even walks on the stage of history. He and Abram, now Abraham calls him what? The father. And I I love it how us in the church get caught up on the parallels between Isaac and Jesus. Good parallels. They should be there. But how about Abraham and God the father? Again, on the heels of Genesis chapter 7, I don't know what the span of time uh, is between uh, chapter 7 of Genesis to chapter 17, but maybe Abraham, just maybe without getting too heretical, finally, or, 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 or at this moment, sees a side of God that necessarily wasn't seen in the flood or wasn't seen prior to. God starts giving a revelation to Abraham, you will be a father of many nations. You know, all throughout the Old Testament, we see that God works, doesn't he? He works for us. He works at gaining our love, gaining our interest. I know that may sound bad to some of you, but he has all throughout history. You look at the children of Israel. Certainly the children of Israel is just a portrait, if you would. It's an image of the church today where God is continually trying to reach us, but yet our hearts 
are hardened and our necks are stiff and we've rejected God. But I wonder at this point in Genesis chapter 7, if Abraham was there getting a revelation of a side of God that they had not seen yet. Like, I wonder if the, the, the popular or the, uh, the, the, the talking in small groups, like, can you believe God, don't, don't do anything that makes that man mad. He might flood the world again. I know that he promised he wouldn't, but you never know. He's a very angry man, obviously. Uh, but I wonder what the chatter was in Abram's day about God. And I believe that God spoke to Abram, obviously, to give us the kind of introduction to his own son, of which he would send into the earth, just like Isaac. I wonder if Abraham, for that moment, got a revelation of God the Father. Like, I wonder if Abraham said, well, you're the father of many nations? You're, you're not just some superior, angry God? You're, you're a father? Listen to this. I... I you know, I think, I think some of that can be proven by what Hagar experienced in this story. You know that prior, you know, I think Abraham, Abram at the time and, and Sarah got a little bit, you know, like, when is this going to happen? You know, I, I can't bear children. Go and be with my servant. Go, go and be with her. Maybe she'll, maybe she'll bear you the promise. Maybe she'll give you a son. Yeah, 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 go do that. So he does it. Ishmael's born. All of a sudden, Isaac's coming about, and Ishmael's, uh, I'm sorry, Hagar and Ishmael, he start, they start getting treated rather, you know, bad. And to the point where she flees because God says, hey, listen, do with the servant lady whatever you want to do. And Sarah just drives her away. Just go away. I mean, how would you like it? You're kind of set up by Abraham and Sarah, and then all of a sudden, because God finally follows through and brings about Isaac, they're like, hey, there's no longer a need for you. There's too much contention here. Here's some water, here's some food, and on your way. See ya. And God permitted that to happen. He actually encouraged. Abraham said, let Sarah do whatever, with, uh, whatever she wants with Hagar. So that's what the case was. And then the, when the food ran out and there was little to no water, Hagar's like, we're going to die here. <laughs> Tell them this. You know, scorched land with no water and no food with a little baby. And she simply just puts her baby in kind of a shaded area. And she would never want to even have to experience the death of this baby. So she goes away from him so she doesn't have to see him die. And God speaks to her. (laughs) It's funny because in this moment... In Genesis, in human history, God just started showing a side of himself that I don't think prior to they saw. And God didn't just promise things to Abraham. He didn't just promise things about Isaac. But he started to promise things to Ishmael and Hagar. (laughs) Can you believe that? And Hagar gets a revelation, much like Abraham. Abraham does. And what does she say? The God who sees me is her revelation. She gets a revelation that I have not, I have been rejected by Abram and Sarah and and that tribe, but you see me, God, and therefore you're making covenant with me. You're not leaving me out. 
Can you believe that? What's your revelation of God the Father today? Come on, hear me out. What is your revelation of God the Father today? Come on, do you... Do you, do you I mean, He went to great lengths to assure us, to make us His children through His Son Jesus. To the point, back in Genesis chapter 17, He started speaking about His plan. Now, what does that say about the law? Was the law just some kind of audible? No, in Galatians chapter 4, He said simply, the law acted as a guardian for the children of Israel. It acted as somebody to guard and protect. Until the time of Christ, until the child of promise came about. The whole problem in Galatians was that these people started reverting, if you would, back to the, the, the law of Moses, Moses to try to find some favor with God, to try to find some approval with God. And, and, and Paul had to persuasively remind them, no, guys, This started off in the Spirit, now it's ending in the flesh. You cannot find favor with God through going back to the law of Moses. And you know what Paul does in that text? He does exactly what I'm doing right now. He brings them back to the beginning. Why? Because obviously they're studying and they're looking into the Old Testament. They're looking at the law of Moses, even to the point where they're starting to reject faith in Christ. And Paul uses Genesis chapter 17 to say, no, 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 look, look. If you're peering into the scripture, if you're looking at the Old Testament, you'll see this story about a covenant that God made with Abraham. And in there he spoke of a child, much like Isaac, who would free you from this slavery, from this evilness. That's what he called it. He said, who's bewitched you? Because at one point, these people in, uh, in, in the book of Galatians, they, were, they had faith in Christ. They were, uh, they were converted, or, or so to speak. They were New Testament believers. But for somehow, some way, just like in that time in history, uh, there was um, what they call um, false prophets. Uh, and they would speak and they would persuasively argue Scripture. And eventually, if you weren't careful, many people became deceived. And in this case, people started reverting back to the Old Covenant. And Paul did exactly what I'm doing today. He says, no, 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 no. Guys, guys, you don't want that, first of all. You don't want to go back there. This is good. Listen, back, back in the story of Genesis chapter 17, God made this evident. He made this known of what he was going to do, much like the scripture in the Old Testament speaks of Jesus. So does the story of Abraham speak of our adoption. Going back to the gospel, okay. And so, what does this mean and where am I going? You know, I'm a firm believer, even in studying this scripture and this text, you know, I have been so... I don't know, um, restructured a bit. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, just in my thinking uh, and my thoughts towards God the Father. You know, this this reality of God changes everything. (laughs) Inside of me anyways, it does. The gospel changes everything. 
you know, a, 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 real, uh, a, a real look into Scripture and understanding what God did changes everything. And I realize that I can no longer act, um, be indifferent. I can, no longer, uh, I can no longer vacillate in my mind if I'm a child of God, if I'm a son of God. Because I realize it has nothing to do with me. It has, it has, it, this, is some, this is something that's provided. This is something that has been provided for us through Christ. And I, I guess if I had any hope for this morning, it would be that we were all settled in the issue. That we were all confident. That, that God, that we felt God daily working to affirm us of who we are, not because we deserve it. Listen, you don't deserve it. It's the grace of God. We don't deserve the grace of God. Just deal with it. Accept it. But in that, move on to understanding, even though you don't deserve it, it's been provided for you. It's not something like the Galatians try to do to try to work hard at achieving, you know, God's favor, His love, or His affection. No! Listen, if the cross isn't enough to wake your dead heart so that you can love Christ, then I would say this, and I don't say it often, but you are a hopeless case. I, I say that because I don't believe any of us are in the, that, that proximity of that kind of danger. But we should be moved by what God the Father did for us to make us children, not slaves, not servants. You understand that even Hagar, this servant lady, she was brought into the fold. <laughs> she, in the moment, thinking, there's nothing left. I'm going to die here. God says, no, you're not. No, you're not. Alan Hood said this. Remarkable. Everybody's head piped up. Uh, Alan Hood said this. You know, God, a third of the angels, a third of the angels fell. They fell with Satan. One man, one woman falls. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Excuse me, let me back up. A third of the angels fell, and God apparently in Scripture did nothing. <laughs> but a man and a woman fell into the clutches of Satan, and he sent his son. <laughs> no, that is remarkable, friend. That is remarkable. A third of the angels, they fell into the clutches of Satan. One man and one woman fell into the traps of Satan, and God said, I will give my son to that, and I will reconcile those people back to me. I'll do more than reconcile them. I will make them my children. Oh, we have lost the gospel in the charismatic church. Where did it go? How did we become so flaky? I tell you, I've heard a lot of gospel-centered preaching this weekend, and I am just jacked up on it. I mean that in a good way. I am head over heels about the gospel. And you know what I thought? I was like, God, how did I ever, how did I ever get to where I'm at? How did I ever major on the things that I thought were major? You know, how did I ever like make a big deal out of things that aren't a big deal? This is a big deal. <laughs> Today, 
15 years later, the gospel still moves this heart. And the gospel should still be enough to move your heart. Come on. The links of what God did to make us His adopted children, bar none, wreck us. And so now, we are sons, right? We are daughters. He is our Father. And not only is He our Father, but He's a good Father. You know, God cares about being our Father so much as He doesn't want to share the title with anybody else. What did He say in the Gospels? He said, hey, don't call anybody your Father. You have one Father. And that is me. I'm not going to share that title with someone. What's in a charismatic church? Oh, my Father. And I've been guilty of saying that. You know, my Father this or my Father that. What is that? It's garbage. It's jargon. Charismatic hoplihoo. I just made that up. But God cares so much to be our Father that He will share the title with no one, much like His deity, much like His divinity, much like His, his supremacy. <laughs> Don't call anybody else your Father. I'm your Father. You have one Father, and He is in heaven. Is everybody okay? Does everybody have plans for Father's Day? Let me, let me go to just one more passage of Scripture here and, um, and bring it back to Galatians chapter 4. And, you know, it's, it, it's never quite um, prim and proper as when you write it down on notes. But anyways, I just gave you the, the version out of my head. So, but it, hopefully it was clear. Hopefully it was clear. For, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, think of it this way. Now, again... Uh, in chapter 3, I think uh, in verses 15 through 23, Paul gives the analogy of um, the, the typology, I believe that's the right word, of Isaac and Abraham, God the Father and Jesus. So he gives all that, and then he, he just boils it down just in case they were confused. And he says this in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up. Even though they actually own everything their father had. Now, speaking about Father God. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father sets. And that's the way it was with us. For Christ, I'm sorry, before Christ came. I, I forgot about the before. We were like children. We were like slaves to basic principles or the law of Moses of this world. But again, just going over these last three verses. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy our freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent his spirit, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba Father. Now we are no longer a slave but God's own children. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. And I think if there's anything that what I want to leave us with today is just like, where are you? You know, where are you in your heart? Where are you in your mind towards the love of God, the affections of God for you? But also those who have not yet accepted, those who have not yet been adopted 
by Christ. I would be a fool to think that all of us are Christians here today. I would be assuming uh, uh, falsely if I, I thought there was nobody here that were not a follower or a disciple of Christ. And so I want to give just, I guess, an altar call with no music. I want to dismiss us, but I want to do two things. In this altar call, I want to just invite anybody who is interested in making the Lord your Savior to come up first. And then secondly, if you are struggling um, in your thoughts and in your heart towards God the Father, a loving Father, if you are coming in and out of, of feeling like you're that child to feeling like you're orphaned. You know, the accuser does great. You know, Satan, the accuser, he can really get into those places of our mind and our heart and our emotions and really wreak havoc, Kenny. And I've seen it in more Christians, even myself, where you almost think that there's something mentally wrong. <laughs> you know, like one day a person will say, I love Jesus, and they're happy and high as a kite, and the other person, oh my God. I just, God doesn't love me, you know, and they're, they're a wreck. And so I, I, I can't say that I have anything to offer, but I can pray with you and I can pray for you. Ultimately, it's up to you and God to do the hard work. But know this, that God has already done the work. <laughs> there, there, you cannot escape from these scriptures and say, oh, God, you've done nothing, you know. You've done nothing to assure me or affirm me of your love for me. God has done enough, and, and still this book should be able to reach those depths of giving us assurance and affirming us of who we are in God because of Christ. So two things. No uh, moody, emotional music. If that's you, if you want prayer, I want you to just stand your feet, and I want to pray with you. If not, you make my job easier. But if you want to, I would gladly and would love to pray for you. So if you want to come up front now and get prayer, um, as of now, I'm going to just officially dismiss the service. So listen, just for a reminder, guys, um, we will not be meeting here.